Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is the universality of the Bible's inner meaning. A fascinating thing that Swedenborg says from his perspective of his spiritual experiences is that when we read Scripture, angels kind of read along with us. But their version of Scripture is different from ours all that's taken out of ours, there are certain things that are stripped out of our Bible when it crosses over to them. That is all references to time, space, people, names, places, <laughs> everything that we're reading is stripped out. So what is left? What, what is left, Swedenborg says, is this universal message. The nature of it is that it can be as small as the individual, as large as the whole human race. It can apply across vast amounts of time or small amounts of time. It's kind of independent of time and space and, and variable in that way. So we'll be exploring that through the lens of a particular parable tonight in Matthew chapter 20. So I invite you to join us for that journey, will you, friends? And let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in your name, exploring, seeking you in the pages of your word. We thank you, Lord. Please help us understand the nature of Scripture and the message that you have for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends, and sending love to those of you out there online and getting the audio and on the phone. Very nice to be with you again. Uh, so this abstraction, this sort of peeling off as it goes up to heaven, what is left when you take off all the names and places? You know, it's kind of amazing. Like it isn't about any particular ethnic group. It isn't about any particular kings or prophets or, or whatever. It, it, what the angels see is something abstracted from that. So what might that look like? Uh, I wanted to read this parable in Matthew 20. So if you can turn there. In the New Testament, um, we'll just read this whole thing and study it tonight and, um, and ponder different types of meaning in this, uh, in this story. Very well-known story, but it has, it's challenging to, to fathom what it's about in some ways. So right from the top? Right from the top. Okay. Oh, and we might just say that what has come just before this is that uh, the Lord is saying that everyone who is forsaken, you see in 19 verse 29, if you've forsaken family and land and so on, for my name's sake, you'll see a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. But what does it say in verse 30 there? But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is a familiar refrain in scripture that there's going to be some sort of upside down or reversal or something. And then immediately after saying that, this is the next thing that the Lord says. He just continues right into this about the first, last and last first. Go on. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So this is definitely a parable. This is a kingdom of heaven parable. And the kingdom of heaven parables are interesting. Uh, there are scholars that you can find who will say the parables, uh, you, you need to look at the essential drift of it and don't get bogged down in the details because you'll never figure out what they're doing there. Uh, it's interesting that they'll just say that straight up. So we will attempt to do that folly tonight, but uh, we won't get all the details by any stretch. And so the kingdom of heaven is a person, a landowner. Is that right? And when did he go out? Early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, so he's a landowner. He owns a vineyard and he's going out part of what fascinates me is that you might think of the kingdom of heaven as a relatively static thing and yet a lot of the kingdom of heaven parables are very active the kingdom of heaven is like someone who took a net and did all this and brought a fish in and did this with the fish and did that with the other fish you know how how is it like you know i think of the kingdom of heaven as being a thing so how how is it like all that activity 
And so here's someone, and the Greek is really beautiful here in the first verse, that it says that he went out with the dawn, like as the dawn was rising, he went with the dawn. Uh, so early in the morning, he goes out. And why does he go out? To hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, so he has a vineyard, but he needs laborers. So he's going to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, good. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Okay, so he made an agreement with these laborers. So the, he, he encountered them and he said, okay, I'll give you a denarius for a day's work. A denarius was a typical uh, day's wage for a soldier or a laborer at that time. And, and so, they, yep, that's fair. So they agreed. Go on. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Okay, and the third hour, you see the way they divided up the hours of the day then was that whenever the sun came up to whenever it went down, as you know, there were 12 hours. So they were stretchy hours, you know, but, but there was always 12 of them. So you knew roughly what was halfway through and a quarter of the way through and so on. So the third hour was a quarter of the way through. So generally speaking, this would be like he went out at 6 in the morning and hired some people. And then at 9 in the morning, he hired another, a second group, right? So let's read that again in verse 3. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Oh, the marketplace. Okay, so there's a vineyard. It's interesting to look in these parables at what's the setting and who do we have. So we've got a landowner. We've got two groups of laborers already. And... Uh, where he found them was in the marketplace. So there's a marketplace and there's a vineyard, these, these two different places. Go on. So what did he say to them? He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. Now, did he say a denarius? No. No, no. He just said whatever is right. So it might be prorated because they missed the first three hours or what. He said, whatever's right. That's what they agreed to. Whatever's right, I'll give you. And that worked for them, so they went in, into the vineyard. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. Oh, the sixth. So the sixth would be noon. Ninth would be three in the afternoon. He went out again. Where do you think he went? Probably to the marketplace, right? Because that's where he found the people at the third hour. So he goes out again at noon and at three in the afternoon and did likewise. We don't get to hear exactly what he said, but you assume he said to them, I'll give you whatever's right. You know, that's what I'll, what I'll pay you. And so he goes out and finds people there in the marketplace, hires them into his vineyard, okay? And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and mm. said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? So the 11th hour would be, if on, you know, on a 12-hour day, at 5 in the afternoon, when the day ends at 6, a lot of the day is gone, I mean, it's getting pretty close. Some people at five are starting to wind down because it's like we're out the door. You know, he's still hiring at five in the afternoon and he finds these people standing idle and says to them, why do you stand here all day? You know, they've spent 11 hours standing there in the marketplace not doing anything. They said to him, because no one hired us. Well, that seems logical. Nobody hired them, so they're still there in the marketplace. They, you know, they didn't find any other work. So he went out there, found them. Now, we don't know in the parable why he didn't see them at 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. or noon or 3 in the afternoon. Uh, this is his fifth time out there, and now he finds them standing there all day idle. Okay, and so what does he say to them? He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Oh, same deal. So the first group, you've got five groups. First group says a denarius. Everybody else is whatever is right all day. Whatever is right, whatever is right, I'll give to you. Okay. So now, verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner... Evening. Okay, so it started first thing in the morning, and now it's evening. Okay. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward... Oh, there's a steward. Okay, so we've got another character in, the, in our drama now. There's a landowner, but there's also a steward. And he says to his steward, what? Call the laborers 
and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first. There's a crucial moment in this story and it is not explained why he paid them in reverse order. But it's crucial to the story that he did. Okay. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. Oh, they got a full day's wage, even though they only worked one hour. You're very familiar with the story, good friends. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. Yes. And they likewise received each a denarius. Okay, now we remember very well, it was only a few verses ago, <laughs> that they agreed for a denarius. You work for me for today, I'll pay you a denarius. Yep works for me, so they went into the vineyard. But what do you think? Of course, human nature, you see the first people. Now, why did he pay the last people first? It's bizarre. It's bound to start a fight. And he goes to the last people, and he gives them a full day's wage. And so they're thinking, I worked 12 times as much as they did, right? The first people, they, they worked one hour, I worked 12 hours. Maybe I'm gonna get 12 days wages for one day's, you know, be awesome. You know, I could retire for, you know, almost two weeks. <laughs> and, uh, but it doesn't work that way. So, you know, so part of the, their problem is that they started thinking, right? And they thought, oh, wait, you know, they, they thought they would get more, but what happened? When they had received it, they complained against the landowner, landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us. You made them equal to us. So interesting, isn't it? You made them equal to uh, Like the pay was an indication of your value or something. I mean, it, it always is at some level, right? And so you made them equal to us, and what, what about us? You made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. I mean, they, they're, they're making sense. Aren't they? They've been out there in the vineyard for 11 all day. It's hot from 6 in the morning right through noon, all the way through. Somebody comes in at the last minute and they get the same amount. Of course it irritates them. So what does he reply? Says, oh, you're absolutely right. I should pay you more. What does he say? But he answered one of them and said... Oh, no, wait. Say that again. He answered one of them. One of them. More than one. The, the whole group, the first group... They, it's all plural. They, were to, they murmured against him. Murmured is a wonderful word that we read sometimes in the book of Exodus. Do we not? Don't the children of Israel sometimes murmur as they're you know, on their way to the Holy Land? Now, these people have been working in the vineyard, but they're murmuring against the, against the landowner. And um, mm, But he doesn't reply to them as a group. For some reason, he only answers one of them. It's not explained, but he picks one of them out. I never noticed that detail before. He picks one of them out, and what does he say to that one? He said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Yeah. Hey, he has a point. I mean, it's weird. It, it seems like an odd way to do business, but it's true. They did agree. Go on. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Mm. Almost treating them as if they're just two people now. I'll give to this last man the same as to you. And then he makes a counterpoint, is the it, landowner. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or yeah, is yes, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's no law against him, you know, if he wants to overpay, so, like pay somebody for a full day when they only worked an hour. I mean, it's his money, right? He can, he can do what he wants with his money. Or is your eye evil because I am good? <laughs> now, that is just awesome. You know? <laughs> is your eye evil because I'm good. That's just awesome. So his counter, they're murmuring, said, hey, not fair, not fair. And he says, you know, is your eye evil because I am good? And then what's the end of the parable? So the last will be first and the first last. 
for many are called, but few are chosen. Mm. Okay, so that's exactly the same thing we read in 19 verse 30. Many are first, shall be last, the last first. And here the last shall be first, the first last. Many are called, but few are chosen. And then, you know, good night, everybody. Uh, like there's no, you know, that's it. That's all you get. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting kind of story. Okay, so to try to look at this a little more, I've got a little graphic up here for those of you who are getting the video or in the room. I'll describe it for those of you who are not. At the top on the left, I've done a simple graphic of a marketplace because I was interested in the fact that there's a marketplace and there's a vineyard and they're two different, they're two different places, the figure in the story. And so I picture the marketplace would be the place where people sell things. It's where there's food, right? You know, if you catch fish or something, you take them into the marketplace to sell them to people. Whatever you got, the goods, the farmers and so on would bring their goods in there. And you've got people who are buying, people buying food for the day and, and whatever. And you've got people who are hanging out, chatting, playing games. What, I mean, it's a marketplace. That's where everybody is, right? So if you're looking for work, you go hang out. If you don't get any work, at least you get to talk to some people, you know, kick it around a little bit or complain about the government or whatever you enjoy. And um, that would be the <laughs> marketplace. And then you've got the vineyard. Now, it's interesting that the marketplace is a place where people would sell and they would buy and they talk. The vineyard is a place where you produce something you sell in the marketplace, to state the obvious, right? And the vineyard is a place, if you're in the vineyard, you're working. And you're, you may be working for a wage, but really essentially what you're doing, someone's paying you to work for, to give food to the marketplace. I mean, you're, you're creating something to take to the marketplace and, and sell. You're creating food for other people. So the marketplace is buying and selling, but the vineyard is working and, and producing kind of thing. Then I have a graphic up here. And I just, for those of you who are not getting the video, there's just the beautiful green and purple of the vineyard. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. Um, the, <laughs> then I have a graphic below that with five bars on it. And vertically, it shows time from morning to evening. So the first thing in the morning when, they, you know, when the landowner went out there, and then you've got the end of the evening. That was a 12-hour day. So you get a first group who's going to get paid a denarius. That's what they're promised for their work. And then there's a second group that comes in at the third hour, a third group that comes in at the sixth hour, a fourth group that comes in at the ninth hour, and a fifth group that comes in at the eleventh hour. And the latter four groups are all told, in effect, I'll pay you whatever is right. You know, that's, so it's a denarius or whatever is right for the rest of the group. So I just wanted to lay that out visually because perhaps you can see, I've drawn it approximately the scale, that that one hour is tiny, you know, compared to the 12 hours. It really is very, very small. So these five groups have worked very different times to get paid the same amount. Nobody was cheated. I mean, he said a denarius, and then as it turned out, he gave a denarius to everybody. So nobody was cheated and yet it was the first group it was interesting the second group doesn't say anything third group doesn't say anything fourth group doesn't say anything but the first group is upset the first group now it's interesting that the first group was in the vineyard by themselves from 6 to 9 a.m not the heat or burden of the day yet i would argue not a bad time to work uh, it's interesting that the second and third groups don't complain about being there in there in the middle of the day. It's only the first group that says, we've borne the heat and burden of the day. Uh, they're, they're the ones who complain, even though they started out under you know, pretty good conditions, you can imagine, during the day. But they did work a long day to get the same wage that other people worked far less for. So it seems obvious that the Lord is with this parable sort of tweaking our sense of fairness, right? Like it's just not fair. It's not right. Look what those people got. Um, 
I'm interested. Uh, okay, so one way of reading this, I want to look at the universality of the inner scripture through different lenses kind of thing. So one lens is through the lens of the individual and our regeneration. And what does it mean that there are different groups and some of them get lucky and some of them sort of are upset because they work too hard for the same thing? Uh, one factor I think that comes in here is the idea, and Scripture talks a fair amount about this in the New Testament, the idea, and, and in the Old Testament for sure, that there's a reward. Like when they get hired, it's sort of like, what am I going to get? Right? So the idea is when you enter, the, the Swedenborg interprets the vineyard as other people do. It's pretty clear from Scripture. The vineyard means the church. It's something about like religious life or something like that. This is what the church is. In fact, let's just uh, go back and read a story in the Old Testament that sort of speaks to this. Um, it's in Isaiah, which will be in the middle of your Bible, chapter 5. And this is a message from the Lord through the prophet to the, what Swedenborg would call, you know, the, the church in the Old Testament or the Israelite people. Uh, look at the first few verses there in Isaiah 5. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Mm. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Is the house of Israel. We're getting a little more help here in the Old Testament than we did in that New Testament parable. The vineyard is the house of Israel. That's who I'm talking about. Go on. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. Yep, look at that. <laughs> he looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Thank you. Now, this is a wonderful story to be reading tonight because it's about a vineyard. It makes it abundantly clear that the vineyard is the, is the religion. It's the spiritual community uh, that the Lord is interacting with. And what he's saying is, hey, I, I created this vineyard. It's a very similar sort of story. Only he says, I put in a tower. I put in a wine press. I, I knock myself out over this vineyard. All I wanted you to do was produce good grapes, and you did. You, they're wild grapes. And he specifies what the grapes are at the end there, doesn't he? He looked for judgment, but there was oppression, and for righteousness, but there was a, a cry. So the, he, he was expecting people to do good works for others. That's what the grapes were. But they brought forth these wild grapes that were not useful. They, they weren't treating the neighbor well. So that's why I think the vineyard... Uh, represents the church. It's, it's the religious community kind of thing. Okay, so uh, the Lord asks people to go into that and become part of that, to work for this thing. Uh, originally, he says, I want you to go in. I'll, I'll pay you to go in there. Now, a denarius is not a vast sum of money. There are some parables in the New Testament that deal with vast sums of money. This is not one. Uh, I think part of the spiritual message out of this, which applies to everybody, it's a universal kind of message, is that we all, we all have a little bit 
of the first group in us, like the first part in us. So let's view this, first of all, that this is all one person. These five groups are all one person. See, the angels just take individuals and people and whoever, they strip all that off. So what do, you, what do you have left? Well, if this is all one person, then there's a part of you that said, oh, sure, I'm in. But what you're thinking about is, I'll get something out. Of, I mean, this will be good for me uh, in some way or another. This will help me. It's very basic kind of motivation. I want a reward. I want, I want something good. So I'll do this for the pay. Then when you see another part of yourself uh, that does better than you do, because the, the, the first, last, and last first, like just from the literal sense of the parable, you would say to that landowner, you made a grievous error when you paid the last group first. <laughs> Next time for <laughs> morale <laughs> in your group, pay the first people first, get them out of there, then pay the second group, get them out of there, and then, pay, and then you can pay everybody a denarius, but they don't, you know, they're, they're not watching while you give the, the same amount to the, you know, why would you flip it around? Why would the last be first? Um, many, many stories in Scripture are about the younger child outstripping, like David was the eighth son, but he outstrips all his older brothers. He, he you know, when they go to anoint him, you know, the, the others look very impressive, but it's the youngest one. It's the last one to arrive. In us, we've got a part of us that's sort of like, okay, I'll do it as long as I'm going to get something good, you know. And then there's another part that's sort of like, well, I'm kind of enjoying, you know, helping people. And then there's another, you know, there, there are different parts. And then you've got this innocent, sweet little part in you that's the last to show up, something really spiritual from the Lord uh, that uh, uh, is just happy, like, oh, it's great. I got to work for an hour. I, I, got, I got paid. It's wonderful. And the first part of you is upset um, because this part, it's, you know, I've been around since I was, I was working this stuff when you were knee-high to a grasshopper, you know, I, I, I've been working on my, you know, I've been, I've been repenting and um, all this. Uh, I'm switching gears now to uh, thinking about it. Uh, let's think about this as different people and imagine that there are some people who work really, really hard on their spiritual lives and they're repenting and they're following all the rules and they're fasting and they're depriving themselves and all that stuff. And then you see people who... Uh, you go to the spiritual world. We all live our day, right, in this world. And then you go to the spiritual world and you've got people there who were just sweethearts or, uh, you know, their brain never fully developed and, uh, you know, or whatever. And you see those people charging into heaven ahead of you, you know, because you've got a bit of an attitude because you bore the heat and burden of the day and you aren't that much fun for the angels to be around. Whereas they love this person, you know, they're great. <laughs> And, and so you've got a little bit of an attitude. But the beauty of the Lord is that he reaches out to this part of us too. You know, he interacts with this part and says, hey, I'm just being fair. One beautiful lesson I take out of this is uh, think about the Lord. Just very often, the Lord has a tricky thing that he's trying to do. He's tr when he's here in the world, he's trying to bring something new into the world. He's trying to re-revolutionize everything. He, he wants to rejuvenate the church and make it better than ever, give it more spiritual teaching than ever. Uh, but the people who were already working on this thing are upset uh, because he's changing the, the game. It, it doesn't seem fair. Uh, in human life, what is normal, good friends, I would say, is that when something new comes along, you kill the old thing and dance on its grave. You know, that's the way that humans like to do it. You know, what, whatever the new thing is, kill the old thing and then rejoice because it was so bad. You know, uh, the Lord doesn't do that. When he comes to do a new thing, he spends a lot of effort trying to rescue the old. And one of the things, one of the spiritual principles I see in this is that uh, the Lord really wants us all 
looking at him. The problem comes in when you start looking down the row at what somebody else has. Well, they've got it, you know, or whatever. There are several stories where the Lord tries to get us not, you know, look at this. Let's, let's look at a couple of these stories, shall we? Go to Luke, if you would, in the New Testament, the third gospel there. Luke chapter 10, I think, is one of these stories. Came to mind. Luke 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went, now it happened as they went, that he entered a certain village. This is Jesus, right? And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. <clears throat> but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Yes. And Jesus right? answered. So you get what's going on. See, here I am knocking myself out. She's just sitting there listening to it. It's not fair. Isn't it the same kind of not fair thing in here? He said, and and she gets, she's so bold as to say, tell her, you know, she's listening to you so much. Tell her to help me. It doesn't go to the sister directly. Just tells the Lord, tell her to help me. And what does he say? Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, mm. but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So the Lord will not triangulate, right? He doesn't say, oh, no, you should help out. You know, he deals with, he's got a relationship with Martha. He's talking to Martha. He's got a relationship with Mary. He's talking to Mary. Just keep your eyes on me, says the Lord. Just, just look at me. Don't, you know, Martha goes off the rails when she's thinking all about what Mary's doing. If she's just thinking, I am serving the Lord. Mary's doing something else. I don't, but la, 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 you know, I, I'll just pay attention to what I'm doing right, right in front of me here and not get all in a twist about what she's doing. Look at Luke 12. Verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So how is this going to go? Tell my brother. You know, <laughs> triangulate right now. And what does he do? But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Yeah, he just puts it right back on, you know, he stays in the relationship with that person. He's not, you know, he doesn't, oh yeah, I'll, I'll you know, it's one-on-one it's -on -one with the Lord. See what I'm saying? It's one on, it's Mary and the Lord, it's Martha and the Lord, it's the one brother with the Lord, it's the other brother with the Lord, and don't be all thinking about somebody else's business here, you know? Look at John chapter 21, very end of John to the right there. Uh, look at verse 20. <laughs> then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. That was John, right? Who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? What did this man, you know, they've had this whole conversation with the Lord and Peter, but all the Lord says, well, what about him? Uh-oh. We've learned by now, like, don't, you know, don't worry about him, right? So what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. So he tries to get Peter back and look, let's just have our own relationship here. I, you know, let, let me worry about John, but let's have our own relationship. So I think part of what's going on here is, and, and I think that's why in our story tonight, I, it's just my own heresy, but I think that uh, that might be why he only speaks to one of them. He doesn't even speak to them as a group. He just speaks to one of them. He said, friend, and he singles one out. He says, are, are we okay? Do, do we have an agreement? Have I cheated you? Have I robbed you in some way? 
No, we're good, right? Right? Don't, don't worry about, about all that. Can't I do what I want with, with my stuff? You know? So he's got a relationship with this, with this, with this, with all five groups. That's all different. And, and with each one, he just said, Isn't, aren't we okay? Just a one-on-one, you know. So it's a good, and I think he, the Lord uses this parable to push the fairness issue. Because all of us from our lower selves look at that and go, that's not fair, you know. And, uh, but, and I think that's why he tells the story that way. But he wants us to think about, no, it's just about our relationship with the Lord. Um, okay. Now, I want to talk about, because another layer of meaning that's within all these stories has to do with the Lord. And we've already talked a little bit about the Lord. I think that's very beautiful that he wants that one-on-one relationship. I also think it's extremely beautiful that he wants to reach out to the out group. He spends a lot of effort in the New Testament trying to bring the Jewish people, the Pharisees, get them on board, you know, and he's successful with, with some of them. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He comes on board. It, you know, he's reaching out to them. In Matthew 23, you'll see that harangue. It sounds very negative, but at the end he says he compares himself to a hen gathering chicks under her wing. I just wanted to gather you under my wing, and you wouldn't do it. Uh, it, it he's reaching out to that other group. And we see this also, don't we, in um, Luke 15. Such a beautiful story that we've talked about before, the prodigal son in Bible study. And um, uh, you remember, like, at uh, verse 25, you got these two brothers. One of them's just done a terrible job of his life, and the other one's done a good job. And the older son hears all the rejoicing, and there's a big party going, what's the big party? I didn't know there was a big party. It's a big party because that rotter who spent all the money and went down and hung out with prostitutes is back and he's getting a party, you know, and, and so the, the older son is very upset. And you'll see, and he, he's angry in verse 28 and he won't even go in to the party. So what does his father do? He comes out and talks to him. Same deal, one-on-one, right? And he just, what does he say in verse 29 there? So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Beautiful answer. Just directly dealing with the older, instead of just sort of like, well, who needs the older brother? You know, he's, he's always got some problem going on. I mean, who needs him? And, uh, but the father leaves the party and goes out. And this is a picture. This story is told to the, the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees, I believe, and, and it's a picture of the Lord trying to... So the Lord's trying to do a new thing. He's trying to rescue all these people who just showed up at the 11th hour, but the people who were there all day are mad. Same story, right, at, at, at its essence. And the Lord is reaching out to them as well and saying, hey, are, are we good? Everything I have is yours. You know, we've been together all, all the time. It's a fortunate thing to work in the vineyard. I may have lured you in here with a denarius. That's nothing. Actually working in here is, is the fun. You got to work in the vineyard, and, and you got more of that fun than these people did, but they also got the stupid penny at the end of the day. You know. But that's not the important thing. Um, another beautiful thing in, in this story that I see in the story when I think about the Lord. So who owned the vineyard? The landowner, right? The person who obviously represents the Lord in the story. So how often do we see him in the vineyard? Weird. He's never in the vineyard. Where is he? Oh, he's over here in the marketplace. He owns the vineyard, but he spends most of his day 
recruiting. Does he not? He goes out there at the crack of dawn, can't wait to get in there, and is recruiting and drawing them in. And then three hours later, he goes back and thinks, maybe I'll find some more people. Hire some more people. Goes out at the sixth hour, finds some more. Goes out at the ninth hour, finds some more. And the amazing thing is that at the eleventh hour, he goes out there again. It's amazing. Any, to anybody else, the day is done. You're done. You got all the people you're ever going to get. What are you doing going into the marketplace again and interacting with people and drawing them into your, into your vineyard? So this is, this is really amazing to me. This is about the Lord reaching out to people. What did it say? The kingdom of heaven is like this story. The Lord is going out again and again and again. Now there's five times. Uh, if you want to shift into a different sort of meaning in that huge elastic world of the spiritual meaning, the Lord went out and he called what Swedenborg calls the most ancient church. He called them into the vineyard. Then after a full state of three hours, then he went out and he called the ancient church in. And, they, and the, this group still continues in heaven. And then he calls in the ancient church. And then he goes out and he calls the, the, the Jews. And then he goes out and he calls the Christians. And then he goes out and he calls what I call Christianity version 2.0. Or what Swedenborg refers to sort of generically as the new church. Uh, but all of these are a new church at, at one point or another. It's kind of unnamed. But, I think, but he does call it true Christianity. And uh, so the Lord is going out again and again and again. Like, do, do you see the divine love in the fact that it's not sort of like, well, I got my group, we're, we're sticking with it. No, he goes out and he wants each one. You could say, oh, well, those people got a better deal or these people got a better... Just keep looking at me, says the Lord. Are we all right? Are we good? You know, the Lord has his own relationship with each one and wants to call us into the vineyard. How are we doing? Doing okay? Is it universal? Is it sort of one size fits all? Sweeping across time and, and all that stuff? Okay, and uh, one more meaning I want to talk about is that, as I say a lot of the time, the Word is also about the Word. And a meaning that I see here is that the marketplace, there are several different things I want to say, but what triggered this thought when I was thinking about it is that Swedenborg describes, he says that we have two, really, I would have to say we are two faculties. I mean, yes, you have a body with fascinating plumbing and so on, but the main thing that you are are these two faculties, and they're called your will and intellect or understanding. You know, and your will is the part of you that does the loving and emoting and so on, and your intellect is the part that does the thinking. And he associates the will with action and the, and the intellect or the understanding with, with words, with speaking, and so on. Um, Swedenborg says that the intellect is a marketplace. It is a place of exchange. It's a place where you go and you buy and sell ideas. And don't people speak of the marketplace of ideas. I mean, this is in our common parlance. People talk about the marketplace of ideas. And so you come in and you say, hey, well, I got this idea. And somebody else says, well, I think it's more like this. And, and you got all, you know, you got this sort of a fair going on in there of like, well, here's this point of view. Well, here's this point of view. And they, be, they may be very contrasting views. And what Swedenborg says is that the marketplace of our intellect Heaven flows into it from above and hell flows into it from, the, from beneath. And we get sensory information in from our physical bodies and so on. And it's a place of exchange. So the marketplace is a picture of our intellect, of our, of our thinking. And when I think about this story having to do with the word, I think the marketplace is when you're in the literal meaning. It's when your mind goes into the word and you're looking at things and you're hmm, well that's fascinating this is interesting and so on you know but you're just you're looking at it and it's about thoughts it's about exchanging thoughts and seeing things i don't like that i like this and there's sort of a freedom and an exchange and a lot of talking 
goes on a lot of standing around and talking and so on. You know, this is like an intellect thing. The vineyard over here is about working. That's about the heart. That's about practicing what you've been taught. And what the Lord wants to do is he goes out into the marketplace of the word and he looks who's, who's reading the literal meaning of the word. Who's out there in the marketplace who's standing around there trying to figure out what's going on and they don't have anything to do, you know? And he, hires, he, he says, how about putting this into practice? Because that's a vineyard. That's not a marketplace. That's a vineyard. That's moving into your heart. That's doing something for others. That's what you do. This is where the, you're buying and selling and, and you may be buying and others are selling or whatever, but the vineyard is where you're producing for others. Come on into a deeper level of the word. You see the word more richly when you start to practice what it says. And part of what turned me on to this thought was that Swedenborg says that scripture is like a mountain, he says at one point. And he said, oh, those who view it through a good lens are in the Garden of Eden on, on the top of the mountain. It's just full of fruit and, and richness and, and water. You know, it's, it's a very rich, lush world. Those who sort of have their glasses on the wrong way up as they read scripture, those who, he says, have, have a bad doctrine, are, are in a forest. Uh, there's, no, there's no fruit, there's nothing to eat. There's fascinating trees, you know, but there's nothing to eat. So, uh, and he says, people who have absolutely no sort of thought in their head when they read scripture, like meaning that you don't have any paradigm, you don't have a, a point of view or a take on it or anything, uh, you, you don't even see the forest, you just see sand, uh, like it just looks like nothing. The word looks like nothing. And I started thinking about this because I thought, well, that vineyard, this is like the word, this is like the, the forest version of the word is the marketplace and the vineyard is like the Garden of Eden version of it, that when you come into living by it and when you are seeing it for what it's really saying, when you see the Lord for who he really is, when you're in the marketplace, the Lord may look angry to you. When you're in the vineyard, you realize he's full of love. You know, when, when you're in the marketplace, you may feel like you're being judged. But in the vineyard, you realize you're being loved, you're being called on to love others and, and this type of thing. So the Lord goes out many times a day, many times over the course of our lives. He goes out to call us, call another part of us. Come on into, let's practice it. Let's put this to practice. Let's get some more work in here and, and doing all this. Um, because that truly is the reward. He may have lured you in there with some sort of promise about you know everlasting happiness or something but but what really is important in there is the is the doing you know is is loving others uh, uh, being useful and so on that's that's the real joy in it um mm. so the marketplace is pounding on the word the vineyard is perception it's Oh, you know, I, I see how this works. And, and there's fruit in here. This is, this is the doing of it. And you may get to the same result. You know, you may get to the same place. You may get the same reward uh, from it. But it's a different experience for some people than it is. Some are, you know, grumble about it more than others. And we need the Lord to open the word for us. Uh, there, this is depicted in scripture that uh, it said people who read the Old Testament without realizing that it's about Jesus read with a veil over their heart, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And when they realize it's about the Lord, then it opens out. So this is a picture to me of how the Lord goes into the marketplace and takes you. You don't get in here by yourself. You, you get you get drawn in here by the Lord. The Lord takes you in here to, to work in this vineyard. There are a couple of different ways of working in the vineyard. I did a, a talk back on 5.11.11 11, 
uh, May 11th of 2011 called Two Ways of Doing Good Works, and we talked about this story and some others, that uh, you'll see in Scripture that there's, you can get into heaven, you know, heaven is about good works, so you can get into heaven doing good works, but there's two different ways of doing them, and one is to, to it's sort of a grind, and you're looking for a reward, and you need, like, something's got to pay me back for all this because it's costing me, and I'm sweating, and so on. That's the image to me of Adam and, you know, Adam's farming in the sweat of his brow. You know, it's not easy like it used to be. But the other version is where it's just joy. The Lord flows in with an idea. You do it. So two different people can be doing the same work, but having a different feeling about whether it's the heat and burden of the day or whether it's like, oh, it was an hour. It was a breeze. And, 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 uh, and he was very generous. He, the, the owner was, was absolutely wonderful to us. Okay. Uh, other people have seen in this that these are stages in your life like the Lord could try to get you on board when you're a child or when you're a teenager or when you're adult or at, at the end of your life and so on, that the Lord is always going out in the marketplace trying to call you in and the salvation will be the same. You know, the salvation will be the same. Uh, a thought about the marketplace was that some people may have spent almost their whole lives in the literal meaning of Scripture, never realizing there's more to it than that. And at that 11th hour, the Lord picks them up and says, oh, no, no, there's a whole vineyard here. There's a whole other dimension to this that, that of being useful that uh, I'd like to bring you into. Um, um, so ideally, the idea of reward gets replaced with the joy of working for it. And when you're in that joy, then the penny that you get at the end, you know, the Daenerys is, is not uh, all that important. So to sum up a little bit, um, uh, there's just one other little thing I'm tempted to throw in here, which is that it's fascinating that Scripture says in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says that, when Jesus was crucified, it was from the sixth to the ninth hour, which is interesting. So that sort of tempts you to think kind of historically about the different phases of humankind and the fact that the crucifixion was during the sixth and ninth hour in there somehow. You know, there's another interesting dimension in there. So um, to try to wrap this up, Swedenborg talks about different layers of Scripture. There's a way of reading it as being about our own regeneration. And one of the lessons I would get from that story here is uh, not to compare. You know, focus on the Lord, have a relationship with Him. Don't worry too much about what you think somebody else has and whether they've got it better than you. or what. Like, just, just keep, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes straight ahead type of thing. Um... And the lesson of moving from just think thoughts to living it. You know, that's what turns it into a vineyard. Uh, that's, uh, um, that's when you develop a relationship with the, with the owner, with the vineyard owner, right? There's a layer, and Swedenborg would refer to that as the spiritual sense. There's a layer that he would call the heavenly or celestial sense, which has to do with the Lord. And there I see the Lord's love for the salvation of the whole human race and how he will never stop. He doesn't just wait three hours. He never ceases uh, trying to call people in, you know? He's always going. He, they, they don't even see him in the vineyard. <laughs> you know, it's his vineyard. But he spends all his time in the marketplace. There's something beautiful about that. He's out there just trying to call more people in, more people. There's more, there's more room. There's more to be done. Uh, so there are beautiful things about the Lord in there and His divine love. Uh, Swedenborg describes a layer of Scripture as being the internal historical sense by which he means it's internal, it's spiritual, but it's about the quality of the different churches over time. Now, you could say, number one is most ancient church, this is ancient church, and so on. The thing that doesn't work about that is that the way Swedenborg describes the most ancient church is not the least bit like these grumbly murmuring people here you know that it doesn't work so I don't know how it works as long as I'm talking about things I don't know um, I have no idea 
who the steward is. I, I just have no idea who that is, you know? I've been breaking my brain on this thing for a while. I don't know who the steward is. All Swedenborg says about this, helpfully, he says about exactly three things about it. Vineyard means spiritual church. Okay, good. Number two, I'm really relying on the fact that the third and the sixth and the ninth are different because that's the whole structure of the story. He says the third, the sixth, and the ninth mean the same thing. But he doesn't tell you what. But they mean the same thing. Good. Okay. And then he does say <laughs> that, the, that, the, that that fifth group, the eleventh hour, is a state that's not complete. So each one of those is a complete state. The three hours is a complete state. The last group is not complete. And he says it does have to do with, with children. Um, that's all he says. That's it. Then you're on your own. So he... He doesn't tell you there what, what the marketplace means or what it means, the denarius or whatever is right or, you know, all like, ah, you know, we're, we're on our own. But, um, but thinking about those other stories of unfairness and so on, putting things together, you can start to see something about it. I do think there's something in here. The fact that morning and evening, morning is the beginning of a new church, a new religious era, and the evening is the end. So there's something about that swing through time. He's talking right here in this story to the disciples. Are they this first group? There are times, I mean, this may be more heresy than I've ever uttered, but there are times when I think Paul, understandably, but Paul sometimes sounds a little bit like, whoo, I'm bearing the heat and burden of the, you know, I'm getting attacked by wild animals. I've been in prison. I, you know, I'm really turning inside out here doing this thing. A Paul might be upset at somebody like me who breezes in and goes, oh, well, I had help from Swedenborg and I've only been here an hour, you know. And <laughs> so is he mad? You know, I, I've never been attacked by a wild animal for believing what I believe. And uh, by evil spirits, but not, not wild animals. But, um, uh, you know, is it something within, is this all within Christianity? And is, is this partly a story to the, to the disciples? Is this to Peter and some of the other apostles that, you know, hey, you may be mad when like Gentiles who had nothing to do with anything come waltzing into the church and get ahead of you and their spiritual life is great and you're kind of mad or something, you know, like, is that what he's saying? There may be layers in there of what he's doing. But I thought it was an occasion to talk about these different layers. And the last one I mentioned was the word itself is the marketplace. The literal meaning is the vineyard, the inner meaning. And is it different people at different times. Some people spend uh, a little time looking at the outside or thinking, and then they deploy it in their lives. And others may take a long time to get to that point. Uh, is that what the story is about in some sense? Uh, so those are kind of four different layers that I see in there. And I just hope that this talk uh, sheds some light on this amazing way that the angels have of reading. I don't think we ever... Uh, clear it all up. Swedenborg says that in the spiritual world you see clouds around angelic societies when they don't understand things in the Word. And then when they make a breakthrough, then those clouds uh, dissipate and then there's another cloud about something. So I have clouds about numerous things in this story where it's, I don't know what that is and I don't know why, why does it say the steward and what, you know, what is the, uh, you know, what, what is going on? What, what's the hiring or what's the, if this is, if this last group is the children, what were they doing all day idle in the marketplace? Like that doesn't make sense to me. Do you just get rid of that and not thinking about that or whatever? It's hard for us we who live in time and space to imagine just things in the abstract. But I think when the Lord was telling this story, I think he was telling the truth. And I think whatever he meant, whatever he was wrapping in this parable, I think this was a conversation that he was having and that he had had with billions of, of people. You know, he'd, he'd had this, yes, there are five kinds, and he knows who he means by the third hour kind. There's nothing in here that's trivial. Uh, we don't know who he means by the sixth and the ninth or why they're lumped together or whatever. It, I, it does occur to me that this is, well, if you start from here, and the second, it's a time times three and four and half a time, you know, a little piece of it. It's sort of time times and half a time, sort of a three and a half thing that's got going on. I don't know. But uh, the angels 
extrapolate it from, from time and space. And I think it's a wonderful way to read scripture, to try to think about other stories. It was fun to me to think about what are other stories where the Lord said, no, I'm not going to triangulate. You know, just our relationship right here. I, I, I think that's, that's a beautiful lesson out of here. So hopefully there's some enrichment for your spiritual and earthly life in there, good friends, and some insight about the word. Shall we close with a prayer? Lord, surely one of the lessons of this parable is that as we follow you, you will turn everything upside down. You will make the first last, and we appreciate that. The most important thing, the thing we used to love the most, becomes something superficial and extraneous. And the thing that used to be just nothing, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the head of the corner something that seems sort of meaningless or trivial or far away or sort of like a wild, hairy guy out preaching in the wilderness or something becomes actually the central thing. That is you. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the Word. That's what we need to follow. The first becomes last. The last first. We offer ourselves, Lord, we're willing to go through this inversion. And we thank you for your work, for the love that takes you into the marketplace again and again and again. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we enjoy working in the vineyard.